Hello, my name is Meg. Welcome to the Unedited Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. The goal of this podcast is to help you both develop and enjoy the habit of daily Bible reading and prayer. About 20 years ago, at a very low spot in my life, I was convicted to begin this simple discipline, and I looked up years down the road to see how God had used this habit to heal deep places in my heart and do incredible things in my life. And so over the years, it's really become my greatest passion to help others get to know Jesus through His Word and through His presence. Through this podcast, I'm hoping to help you see the Word of God with fresh eyes, to learn to slow down with your Bible, and ultimately to fall in love with your Bible. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so incredibly glad to have you here. Thank you again for joining me and a very Merry Christmas season to you. I hope and pray that you are enjoying the presence of God, the creator of the ends of the earth, who became our Savior, became Emmanuel, God with us, was born of a virgin 2,000 years ago, again, to reach us where we were. And again, I just pray that you are soaking up his presence this Christmas season I do want to mention that today's entry does have some grown-up concepts in it, nothing too horrible, um, but you may just want to be cautious if you have tiny kids in the car, in the room with you, nothing too scandalous. But as you may be aware, there's a few Bible stories that we don't teach in Sunday school, and I'm going to reference a couple of those today. We know that the mission of Jesus, as stated by the angel to Joseph, was he shall save his people from their sins Jesus came to earth for those who knew they were not the solution for themselves. Those who knew they needed redemption, needed saving outside of themselves. And he is still in the rescuing and the restoration business. And he wants to save you. He wants to restore your life. That is still his mission. Today, I'm going to share an unedited journal entry called The Ladies of Matthew Chapter 1. This was birthed in kind of a cool moment um, pretty much every Christmas season for the last number of years. I have just read Matthew chapter 1 and 2 and Luke chapter 1 and 2 kind of on repeat throughout December. There's so many beautiful aspects to the Christmas story and it's just really been a time to reflect on those and dig into those. And I believe it was December 1st um, when I wrote this again, a number of years ago, I kind of thought to myself, oh, I'm just going to skip over the genealogies in Matthew chapter one. I've read this before, you know, just kind of discounting it and never discount scripture. God was so faithful to minister to me and just to show me something so beautiful in Matthew chapter one. And that's what I'm going to share with you today. So without further ado, the ladies of Matthew chapter one. And Judas begat Pharaoh's, and Zerah of Tamar. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. I am blown away by these three names this morning. I have noted the last three on several occasions. But this morning, I noticed Tamar, too. Wow. In Jesus' family tree listed in Matthew 1, there are 41 men, but only four women. 
every one of these women have a story. Every one of these women have a history, a past. Their inclusion in Jesus' genealogy is literally shocking because each of these women, who is in some way marked by scandal and tragedy, their lives are not the squeaky clean lives I would have chosen for the bloodline of the Messiah. Yet there are their names forever etched in black and white on the pages of Scripture. Who are the ladies of Matthew chapter 1? Tamar. Genesis 38 is a brief interruption in the 13 chapters about the life of Joseph. It is in my mind so out of place, and I have long considered it one of the most scandalous stories in the Bible. Tamar's tale is sordid. In a very brief nutshell, Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. She is married to both of his oldest sons, who die at the hand of the Lord while married to her. The law required that the next son in line be given to her as a husband. Judah pledges his third son, Shelah, to her, but doesn't make good on the pledge. In a brazen move, Tamar took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil. She literally pretends to be a prostitute to seduce her father-in-law. In this brief liaison, she becomes pregnant and retains proof that Judah is indeed the father. She gives birth to twins, one of whose names means interruption, and Pharaoh's is ushered into the bloodline of Jesus. Read Genesis 38. It's far more scandalous than relayed here. Tamar's story is outrageous, but God in his sovereignty chose for it to be memorialized on the pages of his word and chose for us to be reminded of it in the listing of his human ancestry. That is Tamar. Rahab. Rahab was a foreign prostitute. Our first introduction to her is in Joshua 2.1. Joshua sends spies to the first city of conquest in the Promised Land. And Joshua sent out two men to spy secretly, and they went and came into a harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. Her name is listed eight times in the Bible, and four of those identify her as a harlot or the harlot. In spite of her identity, she hides the spies and secures salvation for not only herself, but for her family as well. When the famous collapse of Jericho happens, she and her family have been rescued by a scarlet cord placed in the window. We don't have the rest of the story in print, but we do see that her scarlet cord ends up being woven into the bloodline of Jesus. Her identity as a harlot at some point shifted, and she is recorded in Matthew chapter 1. In spite of being foreign, in spite of being from a disreputable background, she's there. That is Rahab. Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner. Throughout the law, God had given strict instructions that his people were not to intermarry with foreigners. But Ruth was not simply a foreigner. She was a Moabite. In Deuteronomy 23.3, God had given implicit instructions regarding the Moabites. A Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. This was due to the fact that the Moabites had refused to give bread and water to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Throughout the book bearing her name, Ruth is listed six times as the Moabitess. She should not be there. Her story doesn't fit. She was a Moabite, an outcast. We most often think of Ruth for her loyalty, and she was incredibly loyal to Naomi. Yet some of her actions, in light of her day's customs and protocols, 
could have also been seen as extremely forward, bordering on impropriety. But foreign, Moabite, nor improper would not see her excluded from the royal lineup. That is Ruth. Bathsheba, also known according to Matthew as her that had been the wife of Urias. For most, this is probably the well, most well-known story of the four. Bathsheba was the bathing beauty who garnered both the attention and invitation of the king. David summons her to the palace, and after what appears to be a one-night stand, she sends word to the palace that she's with child. In a frantic scheme to cover his sin, David first attempts to bring her husband home so it will appear that the child is his. But Uriah refuses the comforts of home because his brothers are yet on the battlefield and instead unwittingly carries his own death sentence to the front line of battle. David receives word that Uriah is dead, allows Bathsheba a period of mourning, and then calls her back to the king's house. 2 Samuel 11.27 says, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. The story continues that the baby dies at eight days old. Such an incredibly complex and grotesque situation. Quite honestly, we don't know much about Bathsheba's side of the story. Clearly, we see scandal and that she committed adultery, which all began because she took a bath outside, but we don't know if the counter with David was unwelcomed or forced. We do see that she suffered great loss of both a dear husband and an infant son. We know her as a seductress, a scandalous roof-bathing gal, but undoubtedly her story is far deeper. She is the second face of one of the greatest and most widely known disgraceful stories of all time. Her story is not only disgraceful, it is also heartbreaking. She has gone down in the pages of history with a scarlet letter, yet here we see her on the pages of the word highlighted for all time as her that had been the wife of Urias. Her scarlet letter didn't exclude her from the bloodline of Jesus Christ, the son of David, by her son, Solomon. That is Bathsheba. These four ladies are outsiders. These four ladies are unworthy. These four ladies are not the ones I would have chosen. Their lives are messy. Their stories, even the little we know of them, are complex and complicated, probably confusing at times. But these are the four ladies that Jesus chose to identify with. These are the women he chose as his great-great-great-grandmas. These are the ladies he chose to mention by name. As I write this, Ephesians 2, 12-13 comes to mind. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At the end of the day, we are all far off, all strangers, all unworthy, all scandalous in some way. And scandalous stories call for scandalous grace. And that is precisely what Jesus provided. I believe he included the names of these four precious women as yet another image of those he came for. Matthew 1.21, he shall save his people from their sin. He offered their names as a reference to their stories. He offered their profiles as a signal of hope. 
he paints a picture that says your past does not determine your future. He came for the mess. He came for the complications. He came as a solution for our hurts and our consequences. He came for those who knew they needed a savior. These four ladies of Matthew chapter 1 prove that he is not daunted by outsiders. He is not appalled by sordid sagas. He still reaches for the strangers and the scandalous. He is looking for those whose stories don't fit. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Your story, my story, no matter what dark elements they've held, and no matter what question marks may linger, if surrendered, will not see us excluded, but rather scripted in. Your story, your pain, your past, your sin, your challenge is what qualifies you for grace, for salvation. Thank you, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba for the reminder of grace. Thank you for the hope your stories signal to all who are coming along behind. And mostly, thank you, Jesus, that you never count anyone out. And so again today, just a very simple reminder of the amazing grace that was brought to earth in a manger all those years ago in Bethlehem. Jesus himself said he came not for the well, but for the sick. He came for messes. And I hope that this little thought encourages you in some way today. I recently read a quote from A.W. Tozer, and I want to share it in closing. He said, If the devil tells you that you are unworthy, just smile and say, Is that so? Well, devil, that just makes me a candidate for the grace of God, because if I were worthy, then the grace of God couldn't reach me. But the fact that I'm unworthy is enough for me. No one is ever beyond the reach of his grace. Merry, Merry Christmas. Thank you again for joining me for this journey. I look forward to meeting up with you again next Friday. If you have questions or to download a typed or a handwritten transcript of today's unedited entry, you can visit MegUnedited.com. For now, go grab your Bible and your journal. I look forward to the power of this habit in your life. This is unedited. This is for you. Happy, happy Friday and Merry Christmas. Mm -hmm.